This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. The older I get, the harder it gets to leave home. And uh, those of you who have been married for very long, you understand that feeling. And, you know, my wife are on board. My wife and I were on board for that sacrifice. We, you know, have no intentions of changing anything like that. It's just one of the challenges that we face. And one of the things that makes that easier is the way you make it feel like that there's a part of me that's still home because this is home. Wherever God's people are is home. And your home's become my home. And I really feel that way when I come in your house. I don't check the cabinets. If I saw a dish I thought my wife might like, well, you know, if it's your home and it's my home, well, you know what I mean. I mean, I really feel that comfortable. I really do. And that's because of you. And you are that because of Christ. Let's, let's give glory where it's due. Let's glorify Christ. Because when he's living in us, that's what it becomes like. And that's how we should be. And I appreciate that very much. The creation and the gospel. In the course of our studies this week about the nature of God's absolute truth, we've touched on the, the creation narrative and the consequence of believing in that versus denying that and embracing a godless paradigm or a godless world. And we've studied at that from a lot of different angles to try to demonstrate in a variety of different ways that at the end of the day we always land on the same square, that we're here because God made us, and that means he makes the rules. And as humans we've broken those rules and we're in need of salvation, and he has provided that. And today's study will kind of tie that all together as we look at the creation narrative and then look at the gospel narrative alongside that. And I think when we do that, you're going to see something you will agree with me is incredibly, incredibly beautiful. Let's look together. It's amazing what power switch can do for an old boy. Let's look together. At Genesis chapter 1, we won't read the entire creation story. We'll just read the first four verses to set our minds to what we find there. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. That looks like a pretty simple, straightforward narrative, and it is. But I want to tell you, Jesus is woven in every phrase, and I'm going to show that to you from John's gospel. Observe how the disciple whom Jesus loved opened up the narrative of his recounting of the life and ministry of Christ here on earth, and observe how he began telling the story. In the beginning. Does that sound familiar yet? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and 
and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, when we start out within the beginning, and I ask you if that felt familiar, I hope that set your minds to the idea that there's something here that's similar to the creation story as Moses recorded in the book of Genesis chapter 1. And I wanted to set your minds to that because I was hoping that as we went through that together, that it would occur to you there's more similarity between this and Genesis 1 than just the phrase, in the beginning. There's a lot more. Let's look at that. This is a creation story. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the Word, and all things were made through Him. Genesis 1, John 1. Then the darkness and the chaos. At the beginning of the creation, He said the earth was without form, there was chaos. It was void. That's chaos. And darkness was on the face of the deep. Darkness defined early creation as it was yet formless and void and bound up in the chaos that is characteristic of darkness. And John, in his opening of his gospel, continues to commandeer the language of creation to describe the work of Christ. And he says, the light shines in the darkness. There's darkness in this world, John said. And the more we read later on in John's gospel, the more we'll find him describing that darkness as sin, something that is chaotic without form and void, if you will. <clears throat> but then... From on high in the ethereal realm, God's voice thundered, let there be light. And whatever God said, it was so. So goes the creation narrative. And so he also decreed as he saw the darkness and the spiritual chaos of humankind. So it was when he looked upon man with pity and with love and said in him was life and the life was the light of men, God said, let there be light. And with that he sent his son into the world. And his son was life and that life was the light of men. Just like God made light in the creation story. In the creation narrative we read how God separated light from darkness. God saw the light and it was good and he divided that from darkness. There's a spiritual message in that physical activity and the physical laws that are associated with what God made when he divided the light from the darkness. All of those things joined together to create a framework that points to Christ and to sin. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it, John says. John's explaining to us that there is an irrevocable division between spiritual light and spiritual darkness, just like there is a division between physical light and physical darkness. <clears throat> I'm a pretty big fan of not stubbing my toe. I really enjoy not stubbing my toe. 
So if I'm navigating the house at night for some reason and it's very, very dark, perhaps it's the middle of a dark winter night, there's no moonlight coming in around the windows or whatever, I might, if I see the need, use a flashlight. And I can turn that flashlight on and what happens to the darkness? It flees in the, separate, in the presence of the light. And I can't make them mix. I might, let's say I've dropped something down by the nightstand and it's down there in a dark crevice and I might get down there and I might turn that light on and it just illuminates everything. And the darkness flees where the light is present. You know, I've got a flashlight. I don't have a flash dark. <laughs> I don't have a little thing with batteries that I can turn on and it makes that dark. I, maybe they'll invent something like that someday. I don't think so. They're just separate. They're just different. Light and dark, they're just that way. And there are a lot of laws of physics that some of you younger students of science will understand better than I do that say that that's how it is. God wrote those laws of physics. They're a part of his absolute truth. That this is just how it is, and it's that way because God said so. And that physical framework points to the spiritual reality of Christ as the light and sin as the darkness. And as Christ as the light shines among sinful man, those who are tied to sin and refuse to give up sin won't understand the light. So looking back then at the Genesis creation account, we see the creation, we see chaos and darkness, we see let there be light, and we see the light separates from the darkness. And then when we carry that comparison to John 1, we have the framework for the morning study. We see creation. That means God made you. We see chaos and darkness. That points to our sin. We see let there be light, and we see Jesus coming into the world to provide remedy for our sin, to provide salvation. And we see separation. We see that Jesus separates light from darkness, and that speaks to us about how he expects us to live as his children. Now let's talk about that. God made you. Psalms 144 and verse 3 is not the only place in the Psalms that ask this question. Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him? You ever see one of these little videos or animations of, it's, it's like the camera angle is, is zeroed in on someone and some event that's going on in their life, and then it begins to back away to an aerial view. And it just keeps backing away and backing away until eventually you see the outline of the city where they live or the county or all the way out and you can see the state or the nation and before long it's backed away and you're looking at the globe and then you're backing further away and there's the solar system and it just keeps backing out until it's outside the galaxy and you're looking at the, the Milky Way galaxy and then you back out even further and then there's all these galaxies and it's, you know, those kind of animations, if you've ever seen one of them, you understand what I mean when I say it really underscores our smallness. All the universe, all of that is God's creation. But he zeroed in on you. 
and he zeroed in on me. And he said, I'm going to do something to help those people. Well, when we humble ourselves enough to embrace that reality of our smallness that I've tried to depict with that video illustration, when we humble ourselves to embrace that, there's got to come a point where we stop and say, why did he bother to care for me? Well, the psalmist asked that question. Why would he take knowledge of us? I mean, we're a pretty, in terms of physical girth, we're a, a very, very minuscule fragment, fragment, less than dust, part of the whole mass of what he created. But he chose to care. And of all things in the material world, he gave his son to save us. I hope that gives you a sense of feeling overwhelmed with his love. Psalms 100 helps to answer that question. Verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This is brimming with God's authority. This is brimming with the theme of the weak. The Lord, he is God. That's not us. We're not God. Not even lowercase g, God, we're not. And he made us. We didn't make ourselves. Humanism dies in one simple observation. We didn't make ourselves. That's a dagger in the heart of humanism that forever kills it. It's totally illogical. Because humanity didn't make ourselves. Therefore, we are not equipped to govern or save ourselves. And human history is a series of sad sagas that repeatedly demonstrates our inability to rescue ourselves. All we can do is make a great big love lolly, one right after the other, messing things up. We've talked about that this week. But this has more than just God's absolute authority and our absolute inability. It has God's kind reminder that we as humans are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And that's why he noticed us. That's why he said, I'm going to help those people. Because we're his people. It's not because of anything inherent in me that makes me lovable. And it's not because of anything inherent in you that makes you lovable. It's because of the nature of God. God is love. He is not hate. He is love. And so he looks at his creation and says, I care about these people. Well, but the other things are a part of his creation. Yes, but God made man unique. Of all the things God created, we are the lone thing that is made in his image. And that's why every human life is special and valuable and is God's people in a broader sense of the people of his creation and the object of his love. Show me someone that's not made in God's image and I'll show you someone that God doesn't love and there is no such person. So that answers the question. Because God made us, because 
Jesus was there to help create us. Did you see that in John 1? All things were made by him. He's talking about Jesus when he said that. And without him was not anything made that was made. Sometimes it's easy to forget that the Son of God was there with the Father helping to create the world. So we are his creation. And that helps to explain why he would do what he did in coming to earth to die for us. Because we're also his people and the sheep of his pasture. But in comes sin. We've talked about that. And how that broke the world and made man guilty and caused all the problems. And now, you know, we have the way that it destroys our lives and all those things we've talked about. But look at how John's gospel describes sin. In verse 19 through 21, this is the condemnation that the light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So John explains to us here, in contrast, the nature of the sinful heart versus the nature of the heart that's made a decision to respond to Christ's love. And those that are bent on sin are said to be in darkness. And it says they hate the light. It sounds like there's a separation, doesn't there, between darkness and light. And the, the kind of sin he describes here is a chaotic thing. Darkness hates light. Darkness flees from light. And darkness is there because of evil, symbolic of the evil. And darkness makes chaos. Because it rejects the light. And when you're in a place that persistently rejects the light, it's just a matter of time before you stub your toe. Going back to the earlier illustration. So we understand the value of light and we understand the other folly and chaos of darkness rejecting light. Now as you continue to develop this thought, some of you before long maybe will be reading through the Gospel of John. And if you're on a very steady reading program, that may eventually take you to the general letters of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And as you read all of that, you're going to see light and darkness over and over and over. And it's not just John. We'll find a place or two in this morning's study where the Apostle Paul took up this idea of darkness and light and chaos and, and all of that and the light being separate from the darkness and all of those things. And all of this kind of language in the New Testament especially particularly depicts our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. And so God's voice thundered, let there be light, John 8 and verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. It's like it turns on a light so we don't stub our toe. And he illuminates all that's before him and makes the path clear and easy and visible. I am the light of the world. God said, let there be light. Christ came. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, think creation narrative as we hear Paul talking about Christ. He said, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now let's stop. 
If that's as far as you read, would, would you think, oh, he means back in Genesis when he said, let there be light. That's what it sounds like. Commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he's saying the God who said, let there be light, has also said, let there be light when he sent Jesus. And this light that's the light of men, the light that gives the knowledge of the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus, in the person and the work of Jesus. <clears throat> and everything we learn about Jesus, we're learning about the light. And the more that light shines in our life, the more the darkness flees. <clears throat> Jesus separates the darkness from that light. John 12, 51 through 53, I'm sorry, Luke 12, 51 through 53. I've got John on the brain because he talks so much about this. Luke 12, 51. Suppose ye that I'm come to give peace on earth? I tell you, nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father and the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother and the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He said, there's natural division because of me. Because I didn't come to give peace. Well, wait a minute. What happened to peace on earth and goodwill towards men? That's about peace between God and man. Christ came to make a way for peace between us and our creator that we've offended when we sinned. Okay. So when the angels at his birth sang peace on earth, they're talking about Christ making a way for us to be saved. But anything that makes you the friend of God makes you an enemy of the world. I'm not talking about how you or I feel about it. I'm talking about how the world feels about it because of what we've already learned. The world hates the light. And so what Christ is depicting here is a scenario where some embrace him. They embrace the light, but others that are in their lives don't embrace the light. They don't embrace Jesus. So what happens? The light separates from darkness. They can't be mixed. The laws of physics frame an excellent illustration of the laws of spirituality. That the world in all of its darkness hates the light of Jesus. So the deeper you go in Jesus, the more repulsive you, you can become to the world. Well, why? Why would people hate us? You know, it's hard to understand. We don't wish anything but goodwill on folks. We love to have an opportunity to help somebody we've never met. Don't you feel that way? I know you feel that way. I know you do. You just love to bring a blessing to someone's life. If you've never seen them before, I'll never see them again. Because that's how the Lord teaches us to be. And we've come to understand that's the more fulfilling thing to do. So in that framework, we can't understand somebody that, that hates us. It's because they hated Jesus first. Isn't that what he said? I mean, who did more good than Jesus? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He taught right from wrong. He fed people's empty bellies. Who couldn't like that guy? They couldn't wait to put him to death. 
The darkness hates the light because the light exposes the sin of darkness. And when we walk in Christ to be the person that wants to help our neighbor, that also makes us the person that wants to stand for the absolute truths of God. And that is repulsive to the world. And that is not our fault. Friends, we cannot try to gloss that over and sugarcoat it. We've got to let our speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. I know the Bible says that in Colossians chapter 4, and we've got to be kind as we speak to others. But kindness doesn't mean watering down the powerful impact of truth. At the end of the day, our, our, our hands are honor-bound. We're tied to the task of honestly representing the absoluteness of God, understanding that there are some that will hate it. That's not our doing. What does all this call upon us to do? These four things we've talked about. Well, the fact that we are God's creation in a physical sense calls upon us to be recreated spiritually. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, the Apostle Paul celebrated the freshness, the newness that's in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He used creation language to describe us being in Christ. We are a new creature. We are newly created. It's a fresh start. That goes back to the creation idea. In Ephesians 4 and 24, he said, put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We've studied this passage some earlier this week with the young folk. I wonder if when we studied it, you guys noticed that this is a creation passage. But it's not the physical creation of Genesis 1. It borrows the language of that to depict a spiritual recreation that we have in Christ. And that's something that we live on in. Committed to being this new person that God has created in righteousness and true holiness. That is a commitment to God to be his recreation, so to speak. The chaos of sin and darkness, what does that call upon us to do? It calls upon us to repent, to turn from darkness and run to the light. Listen to how the Apostle John described it in 1 John 1 verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. This is that same light and darkness language we found in John 1. It's echoing the idea of creation and the fact that God separated light from darkness and he uses that language to call upon us to walk in the light and not in darkness, to repent of sin, <coughs> to not let the folly and the chaos of the darkness make us stub our toe. In Acts 26, verse 17 through 18, the Apostle Paul, whose conversion we recounted a couple of nights ago, the Apostle Paul called to mind some things that Jesus said to him about 
the ministry that he would undertake. He said, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, listen to it, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. This ties together so many things we've talked about this week. The conversion of Saul, the idea of his ministry of preaching the gospel, ministry which we now share as children of God, of holding out the gospel light. And what is the purpose and intent of teaching people of, of Christ? to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, to call people to repentance. And what's at the end of that road? Forgiveness of sins. And how is it then that that salvation is uh, is, uh, facilitated? It's a salvation by faith. They're sanctified by faith. Well, wait a minute. If they're sanctified by faith, how is it that they've got to repent? Because that all ties together. That's what it means. Remember earlier this week, faith doesn't just change how we think. It changes what we do. Remember that? That's what happens when we're turned from darkness to light. We don't keep wallowing in the darkness and say, yay, light. That's silly. When we come to follow Christ and we're walking by faith, that means walking out of the darkness of sin. That means turning from sin. That's a life of repentance in which we come to Jesus. As we leave the darkness, we come to the light. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's called us from sin. What a peculiar people. Remember from earlier in the week, that means his own special purchased possession. We uniquely belong to God. All are children of his by virtue of creation. But now by virtue of recreation in Christ, we belong to God in a particular and special spiritual way. And that means coming to Jesus, called out of darkness and into marvelous light. In the physical world and in the spiritual world, you cannot leave darkness without entering the light. Think about that. Let that settle in. There's no salvation outside of Christ. He is the light. And if you're to leave darkness, you've got to come to him. He is the only way out of it because he is the light. In Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14, he talks about this call out of darkness and the transition into light with these words. Speaking of uh, the saving work that God has wrought, he said, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Everything we read in the previous two passages is right here in Colossians 1. The internal harmony within scripture is unspeakably beautiful. Christ's words to Paul about his gospel ministry, Peter's words to his audience about following Christ, all of that weaves together to make a beautiful picture we find re-portrayed yet again in slightly different way in Colossians 1 where we are delivered, called out of, 
darkness, out of the power of darkness, and into the marvelous light, translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So when we go into his light, we're going into him, his kingdom. And what do we have at that time? We have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And when is that moment of saving grace? We read earlier this week at the conversion of Saul what Ananias said. He said, why tarriest thou rise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So the sins being forgiven through the blood of Jesus happens when we're baptized into Christ. That's when we're delivered from the power of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of his dear son. That's coming to Jesus. And the light is separate from the darkness. And that calls upon us to live separate from the darkness because that's where our repentance that we talked about points us. We live a life that's holy and set apart. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5 through 8. You are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. There's the creation story. Just like we've been talking about. God separated the light from the darkness, and the darkness or the light he called day and the darkness he called night. You'll remember that from beyond where we were reading in the Genesis account. And here he takes up that language to describe the nature of our life in Christ. We're children of light. We're children of the day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. What does that mean? Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So from the night-day illustration, he moves beyond that to those of the night, sleep at night, you see. So he's saying, don't be that way. Instead, be wary, be aware, be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. We live a different kind of life. We don't live the nightlife, so to speak. but we live life in the light of Christ, the light of the day. This manner of holy living is well depicted in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 when he said, you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, he says three verses later. So on the one hand, our manner of life is that we're to walk as children of life. We're to be Christ-like. And then you go a little bit later, and he tells us what to do with the darkness. He says, rebuke it. Speak against it. Remember what I said a while ago, that we can't water down God's truth? Remember that? Well, here he is repeating that notion, demonstrating how this all ties together. Because we walk as children of light, that means we have to reprove the works of darkness. We have to stand against sin. Understanding that the world is going to hate that. John 12 gives us a good summary of all of this. Let's hear what Jesus said beginning at verse 46. I'm come as a light into the world. That whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. 
the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. While Christ was here on earth, there were those that rejected him. He said, I'm, I'm not here to, to judge you for that this time. This time. This time I'm here to save the world. He came the first time as a sin bearer. But he said in the future on that last day, he's coming as a sin punisher. And he's going to punish those who rejected him in his light. Don't be one of them. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Which story tells us, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And what did he say in verse 14? The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Today, in the word of God and in today's message, behold Jesus. Behold the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus who came just for you. Come to him. Walk with him. Be saved today. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.